Section 23 of Iola Leroy or Shadows Uplifted. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Iola Leroy or Shadows Uplifted by Francis E. W. Harper. Chapter 23 delightful reunions very bright and happy was the home where marie and her children were gathered under one roof mrs leroy's neighbors said she looked ten years younger into that peaceful home came no fearful forebodings of cruel separations harry and iola were passionately devoted to their mother and did all they could to flood her life with sunshine iola dear said harry one morning at the breakfast table I have a new pleasure in store for you. What is it, brother mine? asked Iola, assuming an air of interest. There is a young lady living in this city to whom I wish to introduce you. She is one of the most remarkable women I have ever met. Do tell me all about her, said Iola. Is she young and handsome, brilliant and witty? She, replied Harry, is more than handsome. She is lovely more than witty she is wise more than brilliant she is excellent well harry said mrs leroy smiling if you keep on that way i shall begin to fear that i shall soon be supplanted by a new daughter oh no mamma replied harry looking slightly confused i did not mean that well harry said iola amused go on with your description i am becoming interested Tax your powers of description to give me her likeness. Well, in the first place, continued Harry, I suppose she is about twenty-five years old. Oh, the idea, interrupted Iola, of a gentleman talking of a lady's age. That is a tabooed subject. Why, Iola, that adds to the interest of my picture. It is her combination of earnestness and youthfulness which enhances her in my estimation. "'Pardon the interruption,' said Iola. "'I am anxious to hear more about her.' "'Well, she is of medium height, somewhat slender and well-formed, "'with dark, expressive eyes, full of thought and feeling. "'Neither hair nor complexion show the least hint of blood admixture.' "'I am glad of it,' said Iola. "'Every person of unmixed blood who succeeds in any department of literature, art, or science "'is a living argument for the capability which is in the race.' yes responded harry for it is not the white blood which is on trial before the world well i will bring her around this evening in the evening harry brought miss delaney to call on his sister and mother they were much pleased with their visitor her manner was a combination of suavity and dignity during the course of the evening they learned that she was a graduate of the university of a one day she saw in the newspapers that colored women were becoming unfit to be servants for white people. She then thought that if they are not fit to be servants for white people, they are unfit to be mothers to their own children, and she conceived the idea of opening a school to train future wives and mothers. She began on a small scale, in a humble building, and her work was soon crowned with gratifying success. She had enlarged her quarters, increased her teaching force, and had erected a large and commodious schoolhouse 
through her own exertions and the help of others. Marie cordially invited her to call again, saying, as she rose to go, I am very glad to have met you. Young women like you always fill my heart with hope for the future of our race. In you I see reflected some of the blessed possibilities which lie within us. Thank you, said Miss Delaney. I want to be classed among those of whom it is said she has done what she could. Very pleasant was the acquaintance which sprang up between Miss Delaney and Iola. Although she was older than Iola, their tastes were so congenial, their views of life and duty in such unison, that their acquaintance soon ripened into strong and lasting friendship. There were no foolish rivalries and jealousies between them. Their lives were too full of zeal and earnestness for them to waste in selfishness, their power to be moral and spiritual forces among a people who so much needed their helping hands. Miss Delaney gave Iola a situation in her school, but before the term was quite over she was forced to resign, her health having been so undermined by the fearful strain through which she had passed that she was quite unequal to the task. She remained at home and did what her strength would allow in assisting her mother in the work of canning and preserving fruits. In the meantime, Iola had been corresponding with Robert. She had told him of her success in finding her mother and brother, and had received an answer congratulating her on the glad fruition of her hopes. He also said that his business was flourishing, that his mother was keeping house for him, and, to use her own expression, was as happy as the days are long. She was firmly persuaded that Marie was her daughter, and she wanted to see her before she died. There is one thing, continued the letter, that your mother may remember her by. It was a little handkerchief on which were a number of cat's heads. She gave one to each of us. I remember it well, said Marie. She must indeed be my mother. Now all that is needed to complete my happiness is her presence and my brother's and I intend, if I live long enough, to see them both. Iola wrote Robert that her mother remembered the incident of the handkerchief and was anxious to see them. In the early fall, Robert started for the South in order to clear up all doubts with respect to their relationship. He found Iola, Harry, and their mother living cozily together. Harry was teaching and was a leader among the rising young men of the state. His northern education and later experience had done much toward adapting him to the work of the new era which had dawned upon the South. Marie was very glad to welcome Robert to her home, but it was almost impossible to recognize her brother in that tall, handsome man with dark brown eyes and wealth of chestnut-colored hair which he readily lifted to show the crimson spot which lay beneath it. But as they sat together and recalled the long-forgotten scenes of their childhood, they concluded that they were brother and sister. Marie, said Robert, how would you like to leave the South? I should like to go North, but I hate to leave Harry. He's a splendid young fellow, although I say it myself. He is so fearless and outspoken that I am constantly anxious about him, especially at election time. Harry then entered the room, and, being introduced to Robert, gave him a cordial welcome. He had just returned from school. "'We were talking of you, my son,' said Marie. "'What were you saying? Nothing of the absent but good?' asked Harry. "'I was telling your uncle, who wants me to come north, 
that I would go, but I am afraid that you will get into trouble and be murdered as many others have been. Oh, well, mother, I shall not die till my time comes, and if I die helping the poor and needy, I shall die at my post. Could a man choose a better place to die? Were you aware of the virulence of caste prejudice and the disabilities which surround the colored people when you cast your lot with them? asked Robert. Not fully, replied Harry, but after I found out that I was colored, I consulted the principal of the school where I was studying, in reference to the future. He said that if I stayed in the North, he had friends whom he believed would give me any situation I could fill, and I could simply take my place in the rank of workers the same as any other man. Then he told me of the army, and I made up my mind to enter it, actuated by a desire to find my mother and sister. And at any rate I wanted to avenge their wrongs. I do not feel so now. Since I have seen the fearful ravages of war, I have learned to pity and forgive. The principal said he thought I would be more apt to find my family if I joined a colored regiment in the West than if I joined one of the main companies. I confess at first I felt a shrinking from taking the step, but love for my mother overcame all repugnance on my part. Now that I have linked my fortunes to the race, I intend to do all I can for its elevation. As he spoke, Robert gazed admiringly on the young face, lit up by noble purposes and lofty enthusiasm. You are right, Harry. I think it would be treason not only to the race but to humanity to have you ignoring your kindred and masquerading as a white man. I think so, too, said Marie. But, sister, I am anxious for you all to come north. If Harry feels that the place of danger is the post of duty, let him stay, and he can spend his vacations with us. I think both you and Iola need rest and change. Mother longs to see you before she dies. She feels that we have been the children of many prayers and tears, and I want to make her last days as happy as possible. The South has not been a paradise to you all the time, and I should think you would be willing to leave it. Yes, that is so. Iola needs rest and change, and she would be such a comfort to mother. I suppose, for her sake, I will consent to have her back with you, at least for a while. In a few days, with many prayers and tears, Marie half-reluctantly permitted Iola to start for the north in company with Robert Johnson, intending to follow as soon as she could settle her business and see Harry in a good boarding place. Very joyful was the greeting of the dear grandmother. Iola soon nestled in her heart and lent additional sunshine to her once checkered life, and Robert, who had so long been robbed of kith and kin, was delighted with the new accession to his home life. End of chapter 23 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista